our Bibles today. It is seven weeks past Easter. It is Pentecost Sunday. This time, all those years ago, the Lord rained down like fire to the apostles and it gave them the gift of many tongues. And this was the opportunity for them to begin to speak to the nation. And this was the birth of the Christian church. Some people consider Easter the greatest time of all. Some people consider Pentecost Sunday the greatest time of all. And let's briefly touch on that before I get into the crux to the heart of my message this morning. If you will, open your, open your Bible to the book of Acts into chapter 2. And if you have your Bible this morning, say amen. 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 Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Again, some consider this to be the greatest day in history. We'll leave that opinions to you. I don't have a teaching that says either way. I think without the birth of a Savior, we wouldn't have a Savior. I think without the death of a Savior, we wouldn't have a Savior. And without the raining down of the Holy Spirit, salvation would not come to us because we need to understand the word of the Lord. But as we celebrate Pentecost, Sun Pentecost Sunday, I want to share something with you. I want to unlock some secrets of the Bible. And what if I told you that you could have everything that you imagined. You could have that promotion you were looking for. You could have that healing for your family. You could have the perfect relationship. What if I told you I had the secret in the Bible to tell you that right now and that the rest of your life would be absolutely perfect? I would be lying to you. Today... And I'm going to try my best not to poke fun. We want to be careful not to do that. But I don't have patience for what is known as the prosperity gospel. I don't know how you feel about the Joel Olsteins of the world. But often teachers, preachers, will take scripture and they will pull it out of context and they will give it another meaning that was not intended to be meant, and sometimes they'll wrap it around the agenda that they're pushing. We see that a lot in messages before offerings. Oh, we got to get the church to give, so let's preach about how important it is to give. And let's talk about that cup running over, and let's talk about how it will benefit you. By the way, there's scripture in there, and it does that, but we must be careful not to use Scripture for our own gain, but to use Scripture to educate us and help us become closer to the Lord. And when we become closer to the Lord, that is when true healing and understanding comes. So what I want to do this morning is I want to break down just a few Scriptures that are commonly misrepresented. 
and I want to break those down. Now, I don't want to break those down for the sake of, haha, I'm right and they're wrong. There's a reason that we're going to dive into these particular scriptures, and there's more. And by the way, there's more than I could write on this paper, and there's more than we're going to talk about. I've printed some extra, and thank you for coming and taking all of the notes. Every week I'm printing a little more, and every week they're disappearing. You're either uh, being blessed by this message, or you're checking me for errors. Either way, the message notes are right here, and I want to bless you. Fact checkers. There we go. I want to bless you as much as I can. So there's parts of this message that I won't be able to share that are in those notes, so please grab those notes. And today, the title of the message is, It's Not What You Think It Is. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I can, me as myself, I could be a clever person and I could wrap things up in a bow, Lord, and I, I know how to speak to people and I know how to make people feel a certain way by my words, but I ask you today especially, Bind my tongue if this comes from me. Lord, the things that I want to share today, the things that I want to share every Sunday, I need this to come from you. Not by my gifts, Lord, but by your will, we get things started. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So, open your Bibles to 1 John. Chapter 4, verse 6. And we have to start with truth. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now that scripture is exactly what we think it is, but we need to start on good level ground, and we need to pray that as we read these scriptures, that we find that spirit of truth. Amen. I want to talk about truth today. Now, it's important to note that scripture is infallible. It is the perfect word of God. And yes, I do understand that men have created, have not created, have written the Bible. It's been translated. And it's accounts of, the, of times, of different periods of time, but it is God-inspired, and God would not let that paper be inked if it was not from him. Okay? Now, also in Scripture, we can read some of it, and we can take some of it literally, and then we could read some of it and take some of it figuratively. And the beauty about how the Bible is written, it's more than just an instruction manual for our life, but sometimes when we seek the Lord and we pray over the scriptures that we're reading, sometimes the same scripture could mean two different things. God has a way of taking his word and forming it when we seek him. With more and more teachers, we need to be very careful that we know the truth and we understand the truth and we do not let our emotions drive us. There are some churches that do everything from worship to the word to the giving all to build that emotional stature in you to where you have to come to the altar. And it makes you feel like if you don't come, you're missing out. I don't want to lead with emotion here today. I want to lead with the truth. So let's take a few of the mis most misrepresented scriptures and let's break that down. And let's also discover why it's important that we get it right. 
Open your books, your Bibles, to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. If you've heard this scripture before and read it, give me an amen. amen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through him that strengthens me. There's a picture on that presentation. Would you pull that picture up? Who knows this guy up here? Tim Tebow. Such a cool guy. I know Tim, and he's got a heart for the Lord. But if you looked, he, uh, you know, that stuff that you rub under your eyes that helps keep the sun out of your eyes when you're playing football. He started with the Gators, by the way, if you guys aren't football fans. I, I don't. What's that? Go Gators. Go Gators. <laughs> Amen. But in his, uh, in his ink, I don't know what that's called. I'm so sorry. I don't watch football as much as I used to. I just know that they kick field goals and shoot baskets. No, that's not right. But in, that, in, that, uh, in that, that stuff they put under their eyes, he often writes scriptures there. And one of the things that he's famous for, and there's pictures of it all over the place, is this, is Philippians 4.13. And he lives a life, a life that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We see preachers on television driving, I can, see all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They drive that home like if you need something in your life, if you need to make that next advancement in your life, you can do it because God's with you. They use the scripture to say, I can get that promotion. I can get that car. I can afford that car even though I work at McDonald's. But I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. Right? I want to challenge you on that. It's not what you think it is. And I also want to give you a recipe to understand parts of the Bible that may confuse you. And I'll share that recipe with you shortly. It's important that we note this. While God wants us to be blessed, that's not what this scripture is saying. There's actually another scripture for it. The recipe to understand scripture is look at its original language, discover the root meaning of the words, and apply the context of the time to the story. And that's what we're going to do to go deeper and discover what, what Paul meant in Philippians. So let's go back in time just a bit. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be con uh, content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. Now let's talk about Paul for just a second. Let's understand the context and where this scripture is coming from. Paul has suffered through four shipwrecks in his life. One of those left him stranded at sea for a day and a night, and he's floating adrift. He was mocked. He was imprisoned. Paul was flogged. He was beaten. False Christians attacked him. It'd be hard-pressed to find many people in Scripture that went through the things that Paul went through. He was constantly in danger from robbers, Jews, Gentiles, and he also often went without food and water. Why is this important? 
Friends, God is not a bellhop. When we want that next step in our life, we don't say that, that we don't call on God and say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of this scripture is through the hard times in our lives, when our children aren't doing what our children should be doing, when our grandchildren are in the, in the hospital, when, when our spouse is hurting, through the hardships in our life, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So this isn't a battle cry to win the next prize. It's an assurance that God is with us even in our darkest times. Now that's a big difference. And I know it might sound like I'm saying that God doesn't want us to have these things, but there are actually scriptures that encourage us and say that we can have these things. But this scripture, taken out of context, does not mean what we think it means. It's even better than what we think it means. So much better. It would be great if we could all have bigger houses, but it would be even better to know that we are in the darkest of dark days, that there is a light shining with us, and God has not given up on us. Don't you agree? Another misrepresentation of Scripture applies to judgment. I'm curious. Should we judge each other? Ooh. This is good. We've got some mixed answers. Should we judge people? Mm. Very good. Let's take a look at that. Open your book to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And I'm so glad that we're talking about this. Do not judge too or you will be judged. Thank you, Sherry. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's a natural gut response that we are not to judge. This happens, by the way, to be one of the misunderstood and misrepresented scriptures in the entire word of God. I challenge you to consider this. Jesus is not... We're going to find out in context here. Remember the recipe? Jesus is not telling us not to judge one another. <coughs> Excuse me. But he's telling us how to judge. See, it's very common, and, and we see this in the world. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You're going to be judged too. It's very common to hear that. But Jesus is encouraging us to judge. Don't throw me out the church yet. Let's look at the context, because it's better than what you think. To find the context, let's go to Matthew, chapter 7. We're going to look at, start at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, if we apply some common sense here, what would a world be without judgment? And I don't mean like judgment, like condemnment to hell. But what would the world look like if we were afraid to judge one another? 
So Jesus is not telling us not to judge. He's actually warning us not to be hypocritical. See, it's important that we hold one another accountable. He's teaching us. He's saying, look at yourself first. Take the log out of your eye before you help your brother with his speck. Now, this is actually very, very enlightening because our gut from reading part of Scripture out of context says don't judge, but the Lord says if you as brothers and sisters in Christ can hold one another accountable, we'll both stand in his glory. But it's a warning. Don't be a hypocrite. So what judgment is Jesus talking about? Jesus is introducing us to what's called a righteous judgment. Okay? Matthew 18, by the way, Jesus actually says, and <clears throat> we don't have it on the screen, Jesus actually says that, uh, that if a brother is in sin, then we are to confront him. Now, it's bad if we're living in that own sin ourselves and we confront him. Take that log, take that plank out of your eye before we help our friends with the speck in theirs. Righteous judgments. Please turn to Proverbs 21, 23. Chapter 21, verse 23. It says, These also are saying of the wise, to show, par uh, to show partiality and judgment is not good. It's further instructions on how we judge. We do not judge partially. We use the, the measure of Scripture, and then we coat it with an understanding, and we share. If we see our brother falling, we help them up. Note, to judge is good if we know how to judge. Proverbs 31.9 <clears throat> Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. The English, standard, uh, English standard, excuse me, the English Standard Version says judge righteously. Now, why is this important? And again, let me remind you, we're not breaking apart these scriptures for the sake of us to say they're wrong and we're right. If we're doing that, we're not doing good. So we have to understand why it's important to understand the context, context of this. Our brothers and sisters were born in a fallen world ever since the fall of man. We live in a world that's full of sin, full of sin. We are separated from that sin because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit coming down in the start of the Christian church. We separate ourselves from the world, but the world is still around us. And who's heard the saying, you are who you, who you hang around. And sometimes we fall. And to righteously judge, or let's use the word hold accountable, our friends, our neighbors, and to do so with compassion could save them from falling short of God's glory more and more. So let me ask you one more time. Does God want us, does Jesus want us to judge? He wants us to judge righteously. He wants us to avoid falling deeper into sin, but we do so with compassion. Let's take a look at Leviticus. Mm, let's pause there. Actually, clear that screen. 
this last one is tough. And uh, it's hard to share. And a lot of preachers will stay away from this, but I'm not a lot of preachers. Now, this time we're going to read from the New King James Version because we do have some younger people in the room. And I'm not afraid of sharing with them the Word of God, but if I can avoid talking about some things or using some words, I want to do so out of respect and courtesy for them. Leviticus 18.22. And again, I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is going to hit us pretty hard. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, I have to share with you, I grew up in a small town in Louisiana. You know this. But we don't see a lot of, we didn't see a lot of variety of people in my neck of the woods. And something that gets commonly shared is if you're gay, you're an abomination. And people use this scripture, and I'm sure maybe a few of us use this scripture. Homosexuals, you are abominations. That can be a touchy subject, but I want to challenge you this morning that a gay person is not an abomination. A gay person is a child of God. And it's important that we separate the sinner from the sin. God says clearly in this scripture that there is a difference between the man and the sin that he commits. You've always heard the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. But sometimes that's hard for us to do when we don't see people that look or dress or talk like us. And I'll share with you a story and Maybe it's not appropriate to laugh, but I was very confused when I first came to Florida. Small, come from a small neck of the woods. Population in my hometown was around 8,000. Uh, I graduated from a class of about 22. The good news is I was in top 22 of my class. <laughs> so there's this really nifty thing called Uber Eats that I had no idea existed until I came to Florida. And, and you could get on your phone and you could order whatever you wanted to order. Well, I think we did some cheeseburgers. Teresa, I think you know where I'm going here. I think we ordered some cheeseburgers and some fries. I like to eat healthy. I don't know if you know this. And uh, we just push the button and somebody goes and gets the food for us and brings it to our house. That was the coolest thing ever. Now, I didn't realize we got, you know, we got charged like 50% more to do it. But it was really cool to tell my phone what I wanted, and then there's just magically a person that shows up, and there's food in their hands. I thought that was really neat. So I was ordering Uber Eats, and, I'm in, and my office was upstairs at the time, and I saw the Uber driver pull up, and the door opened. <clears throat> Coming down our driveway is this very masculine person wearing the brightest pink dress I've ever seen in my life. And I don't mean to poke fun, but I was very, very confused. I have never seen a woman with chest hair before. And I didn't know how to respond. It was different. And the roots of me, the part where I come from going, okay, so this is a transgender person, or this is a queer person, or this is a confused person, 
I don't know if I want to eat this food. And I'll be honest, that's what came through my mind. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know how to process it. When you live in a small town and you see certain things and you see someone different, it confuses you. But Scripture tells us that we find that person and we love that person and we treat them like they're one of us and we pray for the sin that they're committing. We don't know the circumstances of those people. We don't know why they are what they are. And I also recognize that just a few minutes ago I talked about it, how appropriate it was to judge righteously. But we also judge with common sense. Now let me be clear. Homosexuality in the Bible is a sin. It's an abomination. There's also seven other things that God considers abominations. It's in my notes. I encourage you to take my notes and read that. We won't touch that. So it is not okay for a man to be with another man or a woman to be with another woman. Preachers are afraid to say that because they're afraid to offend someone. It is not okay and it is not scripture. But one of the best things that could happen is for those doors to open in the foyer and a homosexual couple come into the house of the Lord. It's scary to think, but who is going to tell them about Jesus if not us? Now, I am, I say this with caution. This is not how do I present this? I am, and for the record, and for the internet to see, I am extremely disappointed in the actions of the United Methodist Church as an organization. It breaks my heart to see what's happening. One of the things that they're doing is they're allowing same-sex couples to be in leadership of church. But Jade, you just said that it was okay for them to come to church. I have a different set of standards as to who leads our church. And I tell you, the problem with UMC right now is it's not a gay problem, it's a sin problem. You cannot willfully live in sin and take a leadership position in church. Whether it be gay, whether it be adultery, whether it be any of the other sins, you cannot willfully live in sin and be a leader of a church. People look to our leaders. They follow it by example. I, when I counsel someone of the opposite sex, I leave the doors open. I try not to get in elevators with other women because I want to avoid the appearance of evil. What the United Methodist Church is doing right now is they're changing. They're doing what we're warning against. They're changing the context of scripture to be in agreement with the change of culture right now. But who knows that God's culture never changes? God's word never changes. I am not preaching against the gays. That sounds wrong just to say it like that. I am preaching against the sin. And while I would encourage a couple to come and join us for worship, and we pray for this couple to see the wrong parts of their ways. How many of you know that we can't fix everything ourselves? 
I have a baby bed that can prove that. We cannot fix everything ourselves, but we know who can. And a little bit of a, as I close here, a little bit of a personal story. And, and Phyllis, would you join us first? And then the praise team will come here in just a minute. Not the last, or the last, or the last, but three churches ago, I was involved in a plant. Day one, the doors of the church opened, and there were hundreds of people. It's never seen this before, and they poured through the door. And there were people with all sorts of problems that came in. And there was this couple that stood out. There was a woman and a woman, and they were holding hands. And they came, and they worshiped with us, and they did, these, they, they, they did, the, they did the things with us. They even came to the altar and asked for Jesus to come into their heart. They came to the altar together. And I, you know, I'm there, and I'm thinking, and I'm pondering about this, and I'm thinking... This couple really doesn't understand the love of God. So what do we do? Do we tell them to leave the church? No. We prayed with them. We took them out to lunch. They asked, what does the Bible say about gay couples? And we shared what the word of the Lord says, but we also said that God will convict you. If you seek him, God will give you the correction. If you don't think it's correction right now, just keep coming to church. Let the Lord speak to you. We can't change who you are. God can get to the heart of the matter. And what I can share with you is that couple, not from us beating the couple over the head with a stick, but that couple, and I don't know if you can be married in Florida or not. I haven't kept up with those things. But they separated not from us, but they felt that what they were doing was not right, and they separated. And I can't speak for the other one, but one is now married to the male love of her life. And I think they're having their second child. Would that have happened if we pushed them out of church? Would that have happened if we cast judgment upon them? We have no idea. Only God knows. But if we're a hospital, we can't just fix the white people. We can't just fix the black people. We can't just fix the families and couples. We can't just be here for the easy cases. Sometimes we have to be here for the harder cases. And I want to close with a story, with a parable. Uh, and the praise team is welcome to come up now at this time. I, I do encourage you to grab these notes if you feel so inclined there was a lady that was in a church not too much bigger than this this lady came up to the pastor and she said pastor I just want to let you know that this is the last time I'm coming to church that I'm going to go find another church the pastor says how come he was an understanding guy but he wanted to know why how come he said well Bob back there is on his phone texting during your message. And Greg, <clears throat> Greg is back there and he's, gosh, he's talking to another woman with his wife sitting right next to him. And these kids in the back here are playing on their tablets and they're not, they're not paying attention to you. And I just don't want to be around. They just need to pay attention to you and I just can't be around it. And the pastor said, the pastor said, okay, I understand. Will you do one thing for me before you go? 
She said, sure, anything, Pastor. He went and got a cup of water and filled it up. And he handed this water to this lady. And he said, can you take this cup of water and walk around the church three times? The lady was perplexed. She was confused. But her pastor asked, and she obliged. So she takes the water, and she walks around the church one time. Didn't spill a drop. She's getting a little bit more confident, so she's going again, but she's very, very careful not to spill any of the water. She makes it back the third time, comes to the pastor, and says, here's the water, I didn't spill anything. And the pastor said, why didn't you, what, uh, I'm sorry, the pastor said, did you notice anybody on their phones? Did you notice um, the kids in the back not paying attention? Did you notice this and that happened? She said, no. She, the pastor said, why not? He said, she said, because I was focusing on the water. I didn't want it to spill. Wherever you go next, ma'am, and I hope it's still here, but you didn't notice that everyone around you was doing the things you didn't want to do because you were focused on this glass of water. If you take your focus and you turn that focus to the Lord, it doesn't matter what your neighbor's doing. Pay attention to the Word of God. Pay attention to Scripture. And when the distractions of the world come against you, and there are people that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, think of that glass of water. Think about where is your focus. And I hope that everyone here begins to more and more put their focus on God. Why did we break down these scriptures? We broke them down to see that God doesn't need a hype man. I don't need to go on the stage and do backflips and tell you your life is going to be perfect because it's not. But everything we need is in the living, breathing word of God. We don't have to make it up. And I'm not saying our prosperity people are making it up. I'm not saying that they have any ill intent. But I don't want to serve a God that just gives me everything I want. I want to serve a God that gives me what I need. It's not a gay problem, it's a sin problem. And sin causes damage in our life. Sin causes damage in our organizations. And I am extremely disappointed with the UMC, and I'll leave it at this. You can see the fruit of what a man believes, you can see what a man believes by looking at the fruit that is bare, that is produced. I don't know how many of you know this, but there are 70 to 80 percent of the bishops in the UMC organization that are breaking apart, and there is chaos in the organization right now. They were supposed to have held uh, general uh, sessions over the last couple of years and they've been postponing that. First, it was the excuse of COVID, which was a reason that they used, and that's understandable. But even this year, they have moved the, the general session where the rules are made for the UMC. They've moved it back to 2023, even considering 2024. And that's because their house is not in order. The things that are going to come from this organization over the course of the next few years is going to be devastating. And it's going to give even us, as Methodists, a bad name. People that may have never went to church before will, will sure, as, sure in the world know 
that this organization is doing a lot of bad things and it's going to come to light more because the God, the God that I serve will shed light on sin and it's going to get a lot worse for them before it gets better. Consider that. It's a sin problem. If you have a sin problem in your life, and we all do, if you have a sin problem in your life, let's bring that to the Lord today. Let's ask God. And let's just do this together and then we'll close in song. If you would, every, everybody just bow your head and let's speak to God. Let's speak to Abba. <clears throat> dear, Heavenly Pro- dear Heavenly Father, there is some form of sin in my life. You don't have to repeat after me, but think about these words. There is some sin in my life. Some of it's secret, some of it's not so secret. But Lord, I ask that you come and you pull that sin from my life and you heal me from the inside out. We know that you dwell within us. Your word says that you dwell within us. And if there is any malice in my heart, and if there's any hurt in my heart, either towards you or towards other people, pull that out, Lord. We ask for forgiveness. We know that by our stripes you are healed. By your stripes we are healed. And we also know what that means. It means we're healed from the inside out. And we are new creations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this last song, if anyone wants to come to the altar, and I'm not pleading for you to do this, but if anyone wants to come to the altar, they're open. Come talk to Jesus. But you can also talk to Jesus right where you are. Please stand. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the ancient of angels' wings. I see glory on His face. I see the glory of